Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are tackling politics and property. It is a hot potato right now. It's top of the headlines that are out there. Make sure you take note of some of the key flags that I'm gonna raise in this broadcast. It could just save you from taking some serious bark off with what we've got coming down the pipe. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitch Olerenshaw. Thanks for having me on the show. Looking awfully dapper today, Mr. Baxter, and to get you rolled up, I love getting you rolled up, as we know, we're going to chat about the property market and specifically property market politics. Big episode. I think I must be becoming a cranky old man. It gets easier to do this for you, doesn't you it? You did turn 85 last week. Happy birthday, <laughs> by the way. That was in dog years. Thank you. Yes, indeed. The politics of property and I guess the, the, the big to- topic, you can't get away from it at the moment, um, is obviously housing affordability. You know, it's a hot potato, uh, you know, wherever you really look in terms of seeing the, the massive surge that we've seen in the property market, people then go back to, well, what about housing affordability and the people that it impacts? So, you know, no question about it, it is. And we've talked a fair bit about property. I think the last one we did was just before the end of the financial year. Yeah, 27th of June, episode yeah. 26. For any of our viewers who haven't watched that, it's mm. about first home buyers specifically, and okay. it covers a lot on sort of, unaffordability of the property market. Can we have a quick recap of that? Well, I guess, you know, if you look at property buying, 64% of first-time buyers are getting a loan from the bank of mum and dad gift, however you want to dress a it bank up. bank um, to, to help them with their deposit. Um, and the average amount of what that gift is is just around about $100,000. So it's a pretty decent uh, lick. You know, it's I'm, a good start. You know, I'm, you know, I'm looking down the barrel with five kids at a fairly expensive uh, <laughs> bank of mum and dad laying, uh, laying some money down. But look, the reality is that's all well and good, helping someone get to the deposit, and people are citing that as a reason why the market's run away. Uh, but the real uh, issue, of course, is that interest rates are so low, either artificially low, they are very low, and that's really what's been propelling the market. So yeah, we've seen a surge in property values for the first time, I think, it's certainly in my memory, um, it's everywhere, regional, city, north, south, east, west. It's, it it's, doesn't it's been matter. ubiquitous, it's been across the board, which is quite unusual. You normally see pockets uh, or things like, for example, during the mining boom, Port Hedland, you know, going berserk. Sure. Uh, but this has just literally been everywhere. And you know, it was only a number of years ago, we're talking about Sydney being the runaway market. Now it tends to be pretty much all of Australia. Mm. And at the time of this broadcast, to add to that, we know that NAB's just come out with a report saying that they expect 20% growth mm. uh, in property market over the next two years. It's a pretty From the estimate. Sydney market, yeah. And, and look, I think they might want to revise that given the current circumstance and the lockdown that we're seeing. And that's a huge risk. We'll talk about what that risk looks like, uh, I'm sure, as we go on through. Um, but you know, we are looking down the barrel at a fairly lengthy lockdown in Sydney, uh, which um, which needs to happen in order to rein things in. Um, and uh, and I think that will weigh quite heavily on what I would consider to be a massively overvalued property market. Absolutely, and no wonder it's so tough for first home buyers to get mm. into the market. Shifting yeah. that forwards now, AB, mm. to sort of draw that into our topic of conversation yeah. today. Let's chat about investment properties because yeah. there's plenty of people out there probably over-gearing at this mm. point in time, given that they're just buying and buying and buying, right? There are. I mean, the investors have been cited as the reason why uh, this market's run away. And I think if we sort of go back a step for a moment, property ownership is not a right. Let's just put that out there and it's going to be controversial. Some people will hate me for saying it, but it is not a right. You know, if you want to own a property, there there are serious steps that you need to take. It's something you've actually got to want to do. You've got to save money for the deposit. You've got to be able to put down um, a reasonable uh, amount of deposit. And parents helping their kids, that's great. We all want to help our kids. You know, you don't want to see them walk through snow to school barefoot. But at the same time, rolling out the red carpet, 
unfortunately can come at a cost, and we'll talk about what that may be as, as rates move up. And so, you know, having the right to own a property is not your right. You need to make it a goal and work toward that as opposed to, hey, I'm 25. I should better buy a property. Oh, I can because I haven't saved. I've spent the last five years, you know, enjoying experiences in life, uh, a car and some flash clothes and some great technology around the house. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I get to meet under different circumstances to that which we're in now in the COVID environment. But if we go back to, you know, the seminar industry, uh, and I've traveled all around the world doing events around the world, and you see the same story over and over again. And it's a huge generalization. At the same time, though, it's what I have seen. So I have to talk about it because uh, you know, it, it's what I've seen out there. And you'll talk to someone and say, look, love your program, love to do it, I, I can't afford it right now. And the first thing I normally say is, do me a favor, take out your phone. And invariably what comes out of the pocket is the latest top of the range 1200 buck iPhone. The iPhone 12 or and, something. And then let's have a look at your wallet and there's the Louis Vuitton wallet and belt and some nice Gucci pumps or whatever it may be. There's a bit of a story in there, but you get the idea. And it's like, you could afford it, but your life choices are the, the things that you're showing me right now are more important to you to have than the hard grind of saving up, which is not very sexy, uh, to, to get yourself into the property market. Well, that four or five grand spent on designer clothes could have gone towards your deposit quite nicely, right? Mm. Not going to get very far with the four or five grand no, deposit. No, but you fact, get the idea. It's not even going to get your stamp duty now, which is not a, at all. a huge thing, which is another thing that investors seem to, or, or, or people seem to overlook, is the huge cost of stamp duty, which let's face it, you know, we're talking about politics and property. Stamp duty should be abolished. It's a free swing for the various states to gouge obscene amounts of money for literally stamping a piece of paper. It has to go. Good luck with the New South Wales getting that pushed across the line and getting it replaced with land tax. They're struggling to get that through Parliament, of course, now as well, because people are seeing it for what it is. But, you know, the reality is owning a property is not a right. It's something you've got to work toward. You know, around two thirds of Australians own a property and, and quite a significant number own an investment property. So what we're talking about in terms of affordability is now a minority issue. It's not the big issue. Two thirds of people are in the market. Market goes up. Happy days for them. For those that aren't, what are the reasons you're not in? Haven't saved, have done earn enough, uh, haven't had job security, don't have a job, um, or it hasn't been a priority, um, or you can't afford to buy in the suburb that you want to live in. And we've talked about that massively. You know, you buy where you can afford, and over time you parlay that into ultimately where you want to get to. So rather than, you might be living in Blacktown uh, as opposed to in Bondi, but that's what you can afford and you live to your budget. Sure. So we've talked about that quite a lot. I think, as you say, podcast 26, 26. Is, is where we covered that. Yeah. What we're seeing in the market right now, um, the political hot potato, how can we politicise um, you know, property? Quite simple, Labour Party yesterday, Federal Labour Party came out and did a, an absolute 180 degree flip. And their whole uh, platform for the last two elections was, let's get rid of and abolish negative gearing and concessions on capital gains tax in property. They've dropped that and I can foresee the only reason that Albanese has really done that is it's not a mandate that you're going to get elected upon. And this is pure Donald Trump politics. Donald Find... Trump politics. Pause that for a second here. Really? <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump <laughs> politics. Find out what people want. And give it to them. And just make statements that support that and build your policies around it. And it's very, very clear for the Labour Party that the abolition of negative gearing is not something that's going to get you elected. In fact, if you dive a little bit deeper, negative gearing is something that would hit the heartland of Labour voters, you know, teachers, uh, people that work in healthcare, for example, two primary groups uh, that are you know, significant in the negative gearing space. 
um, and, and, and they're there because it's really the only way they can get any kind of tax deduction from, from, from a government paid job. So you're shooting your own voting public uh, in the foot by doing that. So they've, they've flipped over and I'm guessing, and I'll put it out there, I'm not a betting man as you know, but I'll bet you the federal election as it comes up will be all about healthcare. And they'll be arguing, you did a bad job of managing COVID, we would have done far better. They've realized they can't do it on the part of tax. Um, if you look at Josh Frydenberg's budget, there was nothing in there. There was spending left, right and centre, so there was nothing you could really unpick there. So this will be a budget, uh, an election campaign that's about healthcare. So they've, done, they've jumped ship on the, on the negative gearing is the bottom line. And just, sorry, just to mm. rewind that on mm. AB, for any of our listeners who don't actually know or understand what negative gearing okay. is, can you explain that in pros and yep. cons? So negative gearing in its true sense is that the cost of holding a property you know, servicing the debt, uh, your landlord insurance tax, all the different depreciation, different things that you can claim in there, uh, your rates, um, are when you total them up, more than what the rental income might be. So overall, the, the property owner is at a loss by holding that property, and therefore they can get a tax deduction on that amount that they're losing on there. Um, negative gearing doesn't really work when interest rates are 2% because you know, typically the biggest source of uh, a loss on a property is the cost of servicing the debt. But when you look at interest rates that are maybe 2 or 3%, every million is costing you 30 grand. It's very cheap. So, you know, that, that significant, you, you'd be hard pressed to find negatively geared property. Most stuff will be positive purely and simply um, because of the low levels of interest rates. So with interest rates being so low, we're obviously mm. seeing more people buy more houses, right? Mm. Which is then subsequently driving up the market. If we did see interest rates subsequently rise, mm. which they, it's must, they yep. should, right? It's what happening. kind of effect do we, do we get, are we gonna see? Look, I think um, that outlook is actually quite gnarly um, for a number of reasons. And, and if we just recap, property investors, um, get a pretty hard time. I don't have a predisposition towards property or shares. I've made a lot of money with both asset classes. I'm in both asset classes. I love both asset classes. But as a professional investor, it's the numbers, the metrics, which I look at to help me make my decision as opposed to a, a, an emotional decision. Like, oh, I'm more comfortable with property because I can see it, which is something we often hear. With shares just for the paper, or oh, shares are more volatile. You know, there's, there's the argument either way. We'll talk more about that too, I'm sure. Um, in regards to where we are in the cycle right now, um, yeah, we're seeing properties massively, massively overvalued. Uh, and if you take shares, we talk about PE ratios, that's the price of the share divided by the earnings. And it gives you a ratio and you get a gauge on whether the share is expensive or cheap. Valuation, right? Valuation basis. If we take that PE ratio and look at a property, now I'm gonna pick a time frame that isn't a curve-fitting time frame that happens to suit our argument today. Let's go back to pre-Sydney lockdown. Okay, and let's talk about May of this year and pick a decent inner city suburb. We're gonna talk about Elizabeth Bay, which is a lovely place just on the eastern suburbs, great little spot. Now, the median price of an apartment there is $1,010,000 according to RP data. So Pretty expensive. The average weekly rent is $473. So if you annualize that, your annual yield is about 2.4% gross. This is gross. This is before you pay all your holding costs, etc. right? So what's your real yield on that after okay. costs? It's barely a yield on that 1%, asset. 1%, something yeah. like that. But I want to just draw the comparison in terms of valuations for a moment. So if you're earning 2.4% yield in terms of income gross on something, effectively the PE of that property, if we were to use a share term, is 48 times earnings, which, you know, if you look at that, you'd, be, you'd laugh at a stock that had that kind of multiple. That's afterpay-like. Well, it is, but when you're buying afterpay, you're buying that technology breakthrough and disruptive technology going into the future and changing the banking system forever and a day. And you can also That's invest with a very small amount of capital yeah. as well. 
Whereas how much more upside is in that market? Now, NAV say 20%, but I think that was pre this lockdown, those statistics would have come out. It was always a lag factor. But we're also looking to see, number one, New South Wales, which is, you know, to all intents and purposes, a third of our economy in lockdown. So it's going to have some economic impact. Uh, and there is, at the moment, certainly a yawning gap in terms of federal government support there. There's no talk of JobKeeper 3, which I happen to believe is the right thing. Um, and and so you're going to see this weigh fairly, fairly heavily there. So you know, seeing some volatility and weakness in that property market wouldn't surprise me. Looking at interest rates, they are starting to increase. Now, not in terms of the headline rate, which most people would look at. But if you've gone off a, a, a fixed rate, say you've had a one or two or three year fixed, a honeymoon period, so to speak, and you've now moved on to a variable rate, that variable rate would be at least a percentage higher in most cases. Now, there'll be people that listen to this and pull me up, oh, it's 0.8 or it's 0.7, but the general trend of what I'm talking about makes sense. The variable rate is higher than what you're on, which means you're now paying 20, 30% more in terms of your repayments. And this is with interest rates staying flat. We've got inflation pressure. The reality is that real inflation is probably significantly more than what the statistics would show right CPI now. CPI figure, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if you believe me on that. Go and see how much it costs to fill your car up with fuel. Have a look and see what your electricity bill was. Look at the 8% jump you had last year in um, your private health cover. Um, have a look at the cost of building materials, up 30%, for example, just for the last six months. And you're going to start to get an idea that there's inflation that's really out there, which is because the economy is awash with cheap money. So you're going to start to see interest rates go up. Now, we mentioned about the bank of mum and dad earlier on helping their kids out. Here's 100 grand, here's your deposit covered, happy days, move in, legacy, helping your kids move forward. The challenge is for the bank of mum and dad, you've got 100 grand now in that property, albeit under the name of your kids. When interest rates start to move up, your kids that didn't have enough money to save up for a deposit in the first place are now going to be looking at increasing serviceability costs on those loans, which they may or may not be able to meet. We're not seeing wage growth at the moment, even though we've got some inflation, and it's unlikely we're going to see that for a little while, particularly as we've gone back into lockdown. And as a consequence, you can see the bank and mum and dad are going to have to start you know, shelling out some cash to help support the weekly or monthly payments for their kids as well. Probably not what they signed up for, but nonetheless will be an outcome that they face. Because if you have rising interest rates, which as sure as eggs are eggs are going to happen. You know, I'm an economist. I've been in this game for a long, long time. I've been through numerous market cycles. It's coming. And you maybe see a bit of a tapping out of a property market that's trading at a PE of around about 50 times earnings, if you look at it in that language. It's a lot. With a third of the economy in lockdown and no federal support coming over the horizon to prop it up, doesn't smell of roses when you look at that as an outlook. And I think, you know, it, it is a very difficult political hot potato. Looking at some of the transactions that have happened People have gorged themselves, and we've talked about this. Don't borrow what you can, and, and, and look, let's just explain the lenses I'm coming through here. This isn't a beat up session for people. It's the last thing I do is waste your time or mine doing that. The lenses we look through for our clients from a moral perspective is to make sure that we do everything we can to protect them from risk. Now we talked, uh, I, I think it was in, in that June podcast, uh, don't borrow what you can borrow, borrow what you can afford. Sure. And there's a big difference in there. So if you can, you know, if you borrow two thirds of what they're going to lend you, you're giving yourself a bit of a cushion there, as opposed to trying to gear up too much. But that greed gland as human beings that we've seen with this market running away. Hey, this is a one-way bet. No market is a one-way bet. Let's get into this now. Let's stretch yourself where money's cheap. It's cheap to borrow. Let's buy that bigger house. All good so far, because if it's a bigger asset and the market's running 
up by 20% according to NAB over the next couple of years. I don't think it will happen, but let's say it, it does. Let's get a bigger asset so the denominator is bigger and we'll make a fortune. Problem is, if that prophecy doesn't come true, if the markets slow down, if not fall, and interest rates are going up and your cost of servicing that debt has gone up through the roof, literally, on a property that's going back the other way, you run the risk of being in a negative equity position, which is a terrible, terrible space to be in, where the bank is going to say, Mitch, you got to put in some more cash here, otherwise we're going to foreclose on your property. Now bear in mind, you know, from a first-time buyer perspective, for example, you couldn't afford to buy the property without the good grace of mum and dad in the first place. Where are you going to get another 50 or 80 grand to throw in there to get the equity uh, back where it needs to be to satisfy the banking system? So would it be fair to say that we're risk on, AB? I think overall? it's huge risk on, and yet people blindly look at this and go, oh, property's great, it doubles every seven years. It doesn't double every seven years. Show me the statistics on that. It doesn't do that. There are cycles in there, and we're at the top of that cycle. There's no organic growth in this market. The population growth isn't there. We haven't got overseas buyers coming in. We've got no migrants coming into the country at the moment, so that demand isn't necessarily really uh, driving things. The investment markets have moved that around. The migration of people out of being in an apartment in the city where they've got to work from home to being in a house in the suburbs has been largely uh, one of the migratory factors for that. And also the migration from cities in general to regional areas. I've seen this in my backyard at Byron. The number of people that are up from Melbourne and Sydney uh, over the last couple of years, or the last year or so is insane. And they go, I can work from home. I don't need to be down there. I can fly down from Ballina and head down as and when I need to. And I can work from home up here. So there's been a huge migration factor that's pushed those areas. And of course, it's leaving a vortex behind it. Now let's talk about investments. Investments um, are about two things. They're about capital growth, or they're about three things. Capital growth, they're about income, and they're about managing risk. Now, the property play right now is a pure one-way bet on capital growth. That is it. Because if you look at a yield of 2% gross, 50 times PE if we use a stock market analogy. You better hope it's going up. You better hope it's going up because the yield on it simply isn't commercial for the risk. And the risk, of course, is that you get a pullback in that market and, and all bets are off. A lot of people forget there's also CG2, CGT, right? CGT on an investment property, again, is something that Labour have walked away from trying to abolish. Um, they didn't want to see the concessions. And to be clear, primary place of residence, no capital gains tax, rightly so, because you buy your house in after-tax dollars, you shouldn't get taxed on it again. Uh, maybe some people think you should, but you know, that's, that's probably not how the game should be played. Um, on an investment property, however, there is 50% capital gains tax, uh, depending on your entity and structure. Of course, different if you're in super doing that. But uh, again, this isn't about giving tax advice. The reality is there's also capital gain on that, which sweeps across quite conveniently into the government's coffers. So yeah, there's a vested interest in seeing a market rise because of stamp duty, lots of transactions, and capital gains tax on those sales when there's a profit flows into the government's coffers. So there's a vested interest there. There's risk on right now, and I think it's something you cannot yell loud enough from the rooftops to people is to not get carried away with this. Buy what you can afford, not what the bank is gonna lend you. Don't buy on an emotional basis, buy on the numbers. You know, and if you wanna have a directional play, it's rather like, you know, I meet people all the time in the trading space, oh, I own gold, oh great, what, what, what are you doing? And they actually own physical bullion. And the reasons for it usually uh, is that they may be a conspiracy theorist, or they, they just don't know that there are better ways of getting exposure to gold. Now, the problem with buying physical gold is you've got a pure directional play. It either goes up or it goes down. There's no yield on it, and you've got quite a substantial amount of cost either to buy it and or store physical gold. Property is becoming the same thing with the yield dropping, as we've seen. Um, it's now a one-way view that you're only going to make money if prices move up. And I think that that, that that engine is starting to sputter. And with the lockdown that we're seeing in our major economic hub in Sydney, 
This is something that people need to hear and see loud and clear. Yeah, well, that's Sydney. What about everywhere else? There will be a ripple effect that will spread up because, of course, investors, if you're starting to do it a bit tough, um, are going to start culling other properties they might have in their portfolio if they're stretched, particularly if there's no rental growth there. And they're not going to see wage growth to a level that's going to support the kind of growth you've seen in property prices. It's just not going to happen. Doesn't sound great, and there's a lot of moving parts there, AB, but that provides, I think, a really good framework around where we see this going. Mm. I guess capital growth is is a is a two-way bet. It's either going to go up or it's going to go black. I mean, it's red or yeah, black, I right? I hate those odds. Yet yield and income is something that you know can be generated very easily through the stock market, which is our bread and butter. So rather than talk about the red or black bet on property and capital growth if there's no yield, mm. how do you get some yield? Okay. Um, that's, I said I was going to rile you up. Yeah, well, Postman always delivers. You certainly do. You haven't let us down there. And again, I mean, you know, what I'm saying here, I think, is common sense. I mean, I'll hold that thought for the conclusion. Um, if we'd compare a property, a property in a, a, a share transaction, so we've talked about Elizabeth Bay, you know, 470 bucks a week rent. Let's take BHP. There's a trade I actually put in our, our newsletter and advisory stuff um, three weeks ago. BHP is trading about 48 bucks. You could buy BHP. What's the risk on with BHP? Well, it sells iron ore and the, it sold more iron ore in this year than it has in its history. It's got a massive dividend coming down the pipeline. The share price already moved up about three or four bucks in anticipation of that. And you could generate around about 2.6% income for just 28 days. So instead of a whole year of rent, 28 days? You can generate the same dollar return in 28 days. Risk on, not really. Iron ore price has gone ballistic. Company's going to be paying a big dividend, which gives the stock a terrific tailwind going into its, its earnings coming up around the corner. And better yet, for those people that are a little bit nervous, and you cannot do this in property, now the price has moved up uh, you know, in the 50s, buying some protection and insuring these shares for what you paid for them so that your downside is effectively zero. is actually relatively cheap right now, too, based on getting in at 47 bucks. So you've got a situation where if you're savvy and you know what you're doing, you've got the ability to generate a year's worth of property income in one month in the bluest of blue chips. It's got the strongest of tailwinds. And if you're half savvy, you can eliminate your downside risk by buying protection. That to me is a smart investment. It ticks a lot of boxes. There's income, there's capital protection. There's a very strong fundamental story versus a very questionable fundamental story with no downside protection and barely any income to speak of. And very low barriers to entry, which is great for someone starting off as well. Start off with a small amount of money, you can start off that BHP trade with less than what your stamp duty would be to buy that property, which uh, yeah, puts it into comparison. Yeah. And do we have an ax to grind? Of course, we're on our path, we do what we do. But our overarching, I guess, inner DNA within our business is to steward our clients safely through trickier times in the market. And we are in for a rough ride. And remember where you heard it first, and I might not be right this month, and I might not be right next month, but you're going to see this come through to fruition over the next fairly short period of time. I'm talking five, ten years down the line. Over the next fairly short period of time when things genuinely do start to cut up rough. And unfortunately, a lot of people out there just simply aren't. They, they're caught into the, 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 the headline to headline, oh, let's get a property, it's one way bet. And the reality is it can be pretty gnarly. And I actually had a conversation with my father-in-law over wonderful glass of red on the, on Sunday night. Was it a bottle of Grange? I know you've got a few of those. Yeah, it wasn't a Grange this time, no, it was actually a Henschke. So it was a hill of grace. Very Not nice. bad. Um, Good place to start. Great place to start. Nicely decanted too, I might add. Um, the conversation we had was in their circumstance, and my, my in-laws were both teachers. And, uh, and so they went down the typical route to get a tax deduction, own a block of investment or an investment property, which they did. They were living, I think, in Dubbo at the time. They didn't particularly want to stay out there. Um, inland, but that's where as a teacher they got deployed in the first place. So they had their primary place of 
residence where they could afford somewhere, and then they had their investment property, ideally where they were going to live. Why? Because of the deductibility that's available there, negative gear. Now, interest rates throughout that period of time were actually ratcheted up to 18%. Now, we're talking about people, oh, yeah, interest rates 3%, 18% when this particular uh, scenario happened for them. And so they could have gone a number of ways. They could have folded, defaulted, lost the investment property and been behind the eight ball. What did they do? They both had three jobs. They're both teachers. They taught swimming. And they both taught at the gym. In fact, my mother-in-law was a dance instructor and my father-in-law was teaching at the gym and they were both swimming instructors on top of teaching. Five days a week at school, six days a week at the swimming pool, uh, like as in after work and on a Saturday there, and worked their way through it. Now, how many people as we move into this area of financial distress and look, Yes, we're in lockdown, so perhaps that does limit in some ways the ability to generate different types of income. But that's really a story because it doesn't have to be that way as we well know. How many people in today's world would, if things cut up a little bit rough and got tough, would go, government, give me a handout, I need JobKeeper, or I need some support to get through these tough times, or a moratorium on paying my loan, or I only get three jobs and just keep my head above water, water by working hard. And I think there's been a huge shift in our work ethic and our individual accountability. We look to the government to provide a safety net, as we are now with JobKeeper again. Where is it? Well, two months ago, when we were saying, oh, you should have cut it earlier, it was wrong. Too many people rorted the system. Now everyone's going, get it back. So you can't have it both ways. So that work ethic is slightly missing. And okay, if you're in lockdown, yes, you can't go and drive Uber, and you're probably not going to go and get a, a, a cash job doing window cleaning or teaching at a pool because people might not be out and about. But we live in the online world now. The internet wasn't even invest, in, invented back then. There are so many things you can do as a side hustle. Stock markets, our bread and butter, on the side, in addition to your job, at home. Maybe you've got an Amazon business or whatever it might be that you choose to do. There are more opportunities out there than ever before, but we've become a little bit soft as well. And this is a hard lesson. I know I'm not going to get a lot of popular comments on this, and I don't care because our job is to help our clients steward the ship. Coaches win games, Mitch, cheerleaders don't. If you want a hug, this is not let me give you a hug. If you want a coach that's going to make sure that you don't get on the wrong side of what is coming over the hill, is what I just have to say. Wow. I said I was going to roll you up and then the postman always delivers. Thank you, AB. <laughs> a lot in that. It was a good sparring session. We've it sort of was. got a couple of rounds in there. Well, it's you sparring me, me just copying the punches at the moment. Oh, but sure, it. we'll go with that. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. No worries. Cheers, AB. Cheers. There you have it, guys. Pretty controversial, I'm sure. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.